again, the reason why I'm wearing a mic uh, is so we can record it for the podcast so people miss it. They can actually watch this movie at some point and listen to the podcast, stuff like that. Uh, as we start tonight, I like to remember... Uh, our minds are always on. Our, our minds never actually shut off. We're always observing things. We're always processing information. And because of that fact, there is never any such thing as mindless entertainment. We are, we are always watching something. And so that doesn't mean we want to run from the culture which we live in. It means we want to engage it and understand it and be able to discern it. Uh, wrapping your mind around narrative themes, especially in movies, which is the, the major way people communicate uh, in Hollywood today allows us to engage better. You know, the Apostle Paul, he goes into Athens, Greece, and he walks around, he sees all the narrative themes that people have. See, look it, they don't mind, it's great. Uh, all the narrative things that are going on that people are buying into, and he engages those themes directly. And he talks about, you guys are looking at all this, but let me tell you how this relates to the one true God. And he's able to give them the gospel. Uh, our God is a storyteller, and all other attempts at storytelling pale in comparison to God's story. I mean, God starts in the beginning, and that's how the story begins. And so when you watch films, you look at who's the good guy, who's the bad guy, what's the message, who's the antagonist, who's the protagonist, when I, what am I being told is truth by this film, what's the meta-narrative, meta what equals tragedy, what equals romance. Uh, and, I, and so I don't show you movies just so I can preach at you. I show you movies because I enjoy them, and I watch movies for all of those things that are in them. But I would say watch discerningly. So you want to discern when you, you see things. Um, so you, you want to look at a movie and kind of think in the back of your mind, how does this speak to the writer's view of humanity? And that is the question. So tonight we're going to watch a movie. It's called The Prestige. Uh, when I first saw The Prestige, I wasn't too impressed by it. The second time I watched it, I was like, wow. Everything just came alive. I understood a lot, like a hundred times better. It was just amazing. I really don't know why. I simply enjoyed it that much more. Uh, the Prestige was released in 2006. It's the oldest movie we're going to watch during film and theology. So it's 2006. It is adapted by a novel from a guy named Christopher Priest. Um, Christopher Priest, when he saw what Christopher Nolan did with the movie... He, was, he actually went and saw it three times. The guy who wrote the book that the movie is based off saw the movie three times, and he was like, holy cow, I wish I would have thought of that. And so he was, he was very impressed by what Christopher Nolan did with the movie. So uh, the film is done by Christopher Nolan. Uh, you might know him from Batman. Okay, He's done the, the good Batman movies. Uh, he actually is doing a new movie that comes out next week called Inception. And what all of the, I'm really excited about it because I won't be able to see it because I'll be in Haiti, but I'll see it the next week when I get back. Uh, but I, but all the people who have seen it and written reviews on it, they, they say that they think the movie's too intelligent and people aren't going to like it. And I'm like, ooh. <laughs> I think it's just a ploy to get me to go watch it, but whatever. Uh, so what the this, this story does is it follows two guys, uh, Alfred Borden. And which Alfred Borden's going to be a uh, Christian Bale, and then a guy named Angiers, who is Hugh Jackman, uh, the guy on the, that's that's Wolverine. Uh, they are rival stage magicians. It's at the beginning, the very beginning of the 20th century, and they are obsessed with creating the best stage illusion they can. And so they engage in this competition of one-upmanship that ends with tragic results. Uh, the main characters, actually, Alfred Borden and Robert Angier, if you just take the first letters of those names, it, it's Abra, like Abracadabra. So, um, 
Now, Hugh Jackman based his portrayal of the character that you see uh, on a guy named Shannon Pollock, who was uh, supposed to be one of the best sleight-of-hand magicians that were ever around. And this is actually an old video of him. No tricks. I mean, there's no movie magic. This is just him. This is what he does. So what he did is he'd watch this guy and he was like, wow, I'm going to base my portrayal of my guy on this guy. Uh, the next guy in the movie is David Bowie. David Bowie plays a guy named Nikolai Tesla. Uh, and when I first saw the movie, I did not even recognize David Bowie. It was like Wyatt Earp. He looks with the mustache and everything. Um, Nolan wanted somebody to play Nikolai Tesla that, that wasn't necessarily a big-name actor, and, but he wanted someone who was kind of charismatic. Uh, and, he, and he said when, when he wrote the screenplay for it that the only person he had in mind to play Tesla was David Bowie, and he asked David Bowie, you want to play it? David Bowie said no. <laughs> so he gets on a plane, and he flies out, and he meets David Bowie and says, this is why I want you to do this part. And so David Bowie said, okay. Uh, next guy in the movie is a guy named Michael Caine. He's like everybody's grandfather. He's such a nice guy. He plays a guy named John Cutter. And the character that he plays, uh, when Christopher Nolan wrote the script for it, he was like, nobody else could be this guy but Michael Caine. And so he went and actually begged Michael Caine to do it as well. Uh, Scarlett Johansson. This is for all the dudes in the room. Okay, Scarlett Johansson's in the movie. She plays Andrew's assistant, among some other things, which you'll see. And uh, Andy Serkis. Gollum. Okay. Oh, my precious. That, okay. Gollum. Um, he was actually really excited when he got the part for the movie because he loved David Bowie. And so he's like, oh, I get to be in a movie with David Bowie. Uh, <laughs> he's my precious. Um, the, the, the film actually got Academy Award nominations for Best Cinematography and Best Art Direction. Now, here's a couple interesting things about the movie itself. Um, Rebecca Hall plays Sarah Borden, who becomes Christian Bale's wife in the movie. She actually had to relocate from North London to Los Angeles in Hollywood to shoot her scenes for the movie, and the movie, ironically, is supposed to take place in North London. So it's kind of funny. Uh, there's a bullet catch scene in, in the movie, and what you'll see uh, on the marquee of people, uh, there's a guy named Harry Dresden. Harry Dresden is actually a fictional uh, character from the Dresden Files by a guy named Jim Butcher, so it's not even real, a real person. Uh, there's a guy in the film, you'll see another magician, his name is Ricky Jay, and he's the one that actually spent time with Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale teaching them some magic tricks in the movie. So he gets a part in the movie, which I guess is nice for him. In, in the movie, you'll see Angiers at one point gets a double to do some things for him, and he's standing off the side of the stage, and he's supposed to be reciting a few lines to try and get him in the mood to do this. And so Hugh Jackman, what he is actually re re uh, reciting in this is uh, Hotspur from Shakespeare's Henry IV. And every time Hugh Jackman goes in for an interview for something, he actually recites this thing from Shakespeare. And so they said, uh, just say something over there. And he goes... Okay, so he starts reciting the thing. He recites for everything. It's this thing out of Shakespeare, which you guys don't care. Okay, whatever. Uh, in the movie, there's a guy named Chun Ling Su. Uh, he was actually a real stage character created by a Caucasian guy, and he was everybody was really interested in the Orient at the time. And so this guy makes his character called Chun Ling Su, and he does these magic tricks. 
Uh, he did this on stage for 19 years. Whenever he was outdoors, he never went outdoors as himself. He always went outside as Chung Ling Su. For 19 years, he did this. And in 1918, he did a bullet catch trick, and he did it wrong, and he got shot. And he actually says on stage, my God, I've been shot. Those were his last words and the first word in English he spoke on stage in 19 years. Um, Alfred Borden takes the stage name The Professor. This is a nickname given to a guy named uh, Di Vernon, who many people consider to be one of the best magicians who've ever lived. Uh, Christopher Priest, the guy who wrote the actual novel itself, uh, created a thing and, and a knot called the Langford Double Knot, which you'll actually see in the movie. And he actually named that after a friend of his, but it's a knot he himself created. Uh, last two things I'll give you, then you can watch the movie, just for interesting stuff. Uh, during the magic show, uh, where Alfred meets Sarah uh, for the first time, he meets his wife for the first time, on both sides of the stage, there are these uh, two guardian statues that resemble exactly the statues that were in King Tutankhamun's tomb. Uh, but they didn't discover that until 1922, and the movie set before that. So, yeah. Uh, there, are, there are two scenes in the movie where Hugh Jackman and... Uh, Michael Caine discovered playing cards on the bottom of the glasses that they're drinking their beers out of. Uh, these are actually called nonic glasses, and they were designed in the 1960s uh, to protect straight glasses from nicks and cracks in automatic dishwashers. So those glasses aren't actually authentic. Just thought you'd think that was kind of cool. But, okay, so this is one of my, my favorite movies. I really enjoy this movie. It's called The Prestige. Here you go. So anybody seen that? Anybody not seen that before? Oh, wow, a lot of you. Now you should get it and watch it again. It's like, Bruce Willis, he's dead. Uh, most Christopher Nolan films, what, what they do is they deal with this morality and perception of morality and vengeance and justice and deception and like self-deception. Uh, one of the things that you see in a lot of his movies is he deals with humanity and how he just rips humanity apart and to kind of shows you uh, who you are. Uh, the Prestige is kind of about two things. You hear it all throughout the movie. It's about obsession and perception. And it's more than just tricks. You know, it's more than Angiers and, and Borden. Uh, there, there are a few areas in the film that are kind of grounded in a little bit in real life. Tesla, you know, he's, he's a real person, ends up in a lot of dark films and a lot of crazy stuff because he was kind of like a mad scientist a little bit. Uh, but let me ask you a question. Do, do our, does our electricity in our walls run on AC or DC? AC. That's Tesla. That's Tesla. And so a lot of our lives actually you know, stem from stuff that he did. Um, he did have a Colorado facility, but it was vandalized. It wasn't torn down by Edison. Uh, and he actually worked for Edison for a little bit, but never got paid. He was supposed to get a large sum of money, never got paid, and Edison kind of cheated him out of that. Uh, and so the, the film goes into a whole bunch of fantastic stuff, hundreds of dead Angiers, floating bodies, Tesla's crazy time machine. But no one uses those things to show the depths that people will go through when they are obsessed. Tesla, Edison, Chung Lee Su, the guy, the Chinese guy at the beginning with the fishbowl, as I said, lived 19 years as that guy. Uh, no one tries to get us to understand this because the, the whole first part of the movie, whose side are you on? Who do you think is the good guy? 
Angiers. You're like, oh, Angiers, that's the good guy. His, you know, his wife was, was killed. And so the assumption starts that he's the good man. He's just trying to get a little bit of vengeance on, on the bad guy. And at the end, you see he's not the good guy. And the other guy isn't the good guy. And it's like an onion. Everybody's layers just get pulled away. You know, he's, he's just as bad, if not worse, than Borden. The moviegoers who went and saw this movie that walked out and hated it usually said they didn't like it because the good guy had all of his morality stripped away and there were no good guys. And that's where it leaves all of us. There are no good guys. There's just Jesus, and then there's all of us who are all bad guys. In the end, uh, Angiers, he's lamenting that something was taken from him. He says, I just wanted to be the best magician. In the end, it's still all about him. And his obsession with being the best, proving he's better than Borden. And, and you woke him, and was Angiers suicidal or homicidal? Yes, <laughs> he's both. I mean, he asked Tesla, which one is my hat? Tesla says, they're all your hat. Which one was the clone? Which one's the duplicate? Did the original teleport? Did the duplicate stay? I mean, originally, you see what happens is he has the gun, and the guy shows up and he shoots the guy on the outside, and later the guy in the one is the one that's falling into the water every time. So whoever the original was, he's dead, <laughs> whoever it was. You know, neither ended up truly being alive in the end. I mean, Angiers comes to the end of the movie. He doesn't want to get his hands dirty, and at the end, he's wanting to kill himself or somebody else. And you look at Borden, he doesn't look any better. I mean, whose child was it? Was it the one who loved Sarah, or was it the one who loved Olivia? Which one was the father? I'll help you out. Okay, Christopher Nolan actually wanted people to feel better about this. It's the one who loved Sarah. That's whose child it was. And, at the, and that's why he put that in there. At the end of the movie, he talks about how, you know, I'm the one who loved Sarah. So it's, it's his child, and he loves his child. He wanted people to feel better uh, about that. You know, but, you know, even when the other one is in the jail and he's saying goodbye to the daughter, I mean, it's, it's sincere, and it's all creepy. It's just all creepy. You know, these two men are willing to ruin each other's lives on their own just so they can be better magicians. At the very end, Angiers lays dying, and he says, nothing, you never understood, did you, why we did this. The audience knows the truth that the world is simple, miserable. That's his world view. He sounds like Solomon, Ecclesiastes 1.14. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, the chasing after the wind. It sounds like someone who's given up hope. You know, and, and what is Angier's answer? Because it takes him a long time to die in the movie. It's like, oh, oh, you know, he's got to get his monologue in. Uh, he goes, if you could fool them for a moment, you can make them wonder. You can make them wonder. And what he essentially says is, you can become their savior. He sits under the stage and he wants to take all of the applause himself. He wants the prestige himself. Uh, a, a lot of modern Christianity many times get, gets a lot of flack for the same thing, giving people hope. But the question is, is our hope real hope or is it fake hope? What Angiers is trying to give people is false religion, the wow that distracts people from the truth. Angiers says that the best illusions can only supply tricks to remove people from their warped view of their miserable reality. And then when he steps out in the prestige, he gets worshipped, and he loves that. And in one sense, we are all that guy. We all love to be worshipped in that way, for people to think that we are more than we actually are. You know, we, we do something where, where we feel good so we can get people to say how good that we actually are. Sometimes I even wrestle with this. Why do I do what I do? Why do I, you know, show you guys movies and then talk to you? Why do I speak in front of you? Is it for Jesus or is it for me? I mean, I hope it's for Jesus, but 
I don't know, every once in a while, maybe it's for me. Because we're all like that. We all, everybody in the world wants something to believe in. That's a song, isn't it? Huh? Give me something to believe in. In uh, magic, everyone wants to know the secret, but he says, but they don't really want to know the secret. They don't really want to look too close. He says, everybody wants to be fooled. Because if we really sought the truth and we really lived the truth in our lives, our lives would have to change in light of God's truth. The beginning and the ending of the film, it shows that people want to be fooled. In Romans 1.20, it says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. What, what Paul says is that our souls know where the truth lies, but we just want to run from it because our minds are, are, and our hearts are fickle. We don't just really... Wanted. We are without excuse. He goes on and he says, For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, nor gave thanks to Him. But, in, but their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man, and birds, and animals, and reptiles. Verse 24, he says, Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts. And that's what the movie shows. You know, it's, it's all about coveting and obsession. Angiers is coveting Borden's life. You know, he has a trick. He doesn't know how to do it. Something else, somebody has something he lacks. And then, and then when, when you know, Borden gets Olivia, Angiers is then upset when he's the one who sent him to her in the first place. Why are you with him now? It's, it's crazy. It's, he's full of envy and malice and strife and sounds like Scripture. You know, that's what that guy is like. Someone who's been given over to his desire. Scripture actually calls it inventors of evil. Angiers, the whole time, he is thinking that he is right, treating Olivia like dirt. He thinks that is just. He takes Borden's daughter. Oh, uh, you know, I'll take care of her. You give me your tricks. And he thinks that's just. Tesla says to Angiers, before he makes the contraption, he says, have you considered the cost of building this machine? And Angiers doesn't get it. He goes, I have the money. What are you talking about? And he's like, have you considered the cost? I mean, Tesla, he says, I have my own obsessions. I followed them too long, and one day they will destroy me. And the truth was, at the end of Tesla's life, they did destroy him. He died in his 80s. He was penniless because he was so consumed with being an inventor that he never thought about a legacy. And so he dies penniless. In real life, these guys are patterns of humanity you know who do we only give half of our love to like Borden you know who do we treat as a means to an end the movie makes everyone a little bit dirty and the people who didn't like it that's why they didn't like it because you walk out feeling a little bit soiled because everybody sees a little bit of themselves in the story I mean it deals with people and everybody is compromised even the nice old man Cutter at the end, he seems to know and approve exactly that what Borden's going to do. He's going to go kill Angiers. You know, he walks out of the theater. He walks by him. How you doing? You know, walks in, and, and there it goes. Cutter, you listen to his words the whole movie. You know, the one guy that you're like, oh, not the nice old man. The one guy, that guy, he's pushing Angiers to do what it would take. And then maybe Angiers does what it takes and he takes it too far. Proverbs 14:12 says, "There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it leads to death." Proverbs 21 verse 2, "All the man's ways seem right to him. They seem so just, but the Lord weighs the heart." Where is Angier's heart? He's under the stage when the other guys on top and he's raising his arms like, "Love," and he's under the stage, but he wants 
all that adoration and all that. Being backstage is not good enough for him. So he's willing to kill himself or somebody else like himself so he can get the prestige and stand in front of everybody in the end. You know, we are told that we are people who are made in God's image. Second Timothy tells us that we are also are lover, lovers of ourselves. You know, we as a people were meant to image who God actually is, his character, his ways. But the great Danton wants to image himself. He wants his posters everywhere. Second Timothy chapter 2 says that we should avoid those people. But the problem is we are those people. How do we avoid ourselves? I mean, maybe we haven't killed off a hundred of us and or set up a scheme with our evil twin or something like that, but we all have a little boredom and angiers in us. And we must be a people who learn how to image God and not ourselves. So the question is really, I think, when you leave this movie is, do we want to be fooled? You know, do we want to fool even ourselves, just like Angiers fooled himself? Because we become our most able magician. We. Uh, we're good at tricking ourselves. We say, oh, I'm a good person. Oh, I'm right, and they're wrong. They just don't understand. But we need to face the fact that we are all lost without our great God who has come to save us. We are all like these guys. And the truth and the grace and the goodness of the gospel is that we don't have to live like these guys. There is a greater truth, one that is not a fake truth, one that is a real truth that God calls us to as a people, and that's the gospel. And that's how you take a movie like that and you go, here's the gospel. You don't have to be like this. Thoughts on the movie? Besides mine, obviously. Anybody? Exactly. Which not did you tie? It wasn't me. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And when you and so if you if you've never seen it and you pick it up and watch it, if you want to, I have a Blu-ray. If you got a Blu-ray player, you can borrow it. Um, and you watch the second time and you see all the nuances, especially when the wife's gone. You don't really mean it that you love me today. And at the end, you go, Oh, he really did love her today. You know, and, and you see when, when the husband and the wife are fighting at the, at, in the middle of the movie or at, you know, towards the end, and, and then the other guy, Fallon, comes in and he sees the little girl just sat there because that's her dad. And he grabs her and he walks her out because he cares so much for that little girl. Any other thoughts? Anybody? Yeah, but see, the thing is, he would tell you he did, but he only cared half for her. Exactly. His his commitment. Yeah, his <laughs> his. <laughs> I'll let my evil twin argue with my wife tonight. Um, it, yeah, it, the thing thing is with with him, he he didn't honor his commitment enough to it, his commitment to magic was more important than his commitment to anything else in his life. Yeah, and but we're the same way. We all have commitments to other things that we probably shouldn't have commitments to that overtake everything else in our life. Yeah. Ooh, that's good. Maybe feeling like I'm going to kill myself tomorrow night and atone for my sins from last night. Yeah, it's like, oh, going home. She's kind of disappeared. She's in a box. 
a water on her. Yeah. She actually walked out on him towards the end. She got so irritated at him that she walked out. Anything? Huh? Yeah, she's a, she's a, she does a slideshow in Vegas. Anybody else? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for cinema and movies that make us think. I ask that uh, the next Christopher Nolan film is actually just as good. <laughs> Father, thank you for being a God that uh, puts creativity and culture and allows us to step into it and to be able to relate your gospel in a way that makes sense. Uh, we thank you that you have created a, a holy longing in, in almost every person that, that though many times they, they don't know what they're looking for, that we as believers can show them that you know, it's you. You're the fulfillment of our lives. And so have us be people who live in such a way that we image you and not ourselves so that we can truly display hope. Amen. Have a good night. Two weeks we're doing Star Trek, the new one.